Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com i'm mick garris and this is postmortem every now and again an independent genre film makes a huge splash at film festivals breaks beyond the horrorgensia and into the cinema mainstream a buzz builds around it and it becomes the eye of the horror hurricane it happened with it follows the witch train to busan raw and get out among others the movie that's the center of attention now is Hereditary, and the film's writer-director, Ari Aster, is with us to share how the movie came to be. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. Ari, thank you so much for being here. You are the talk of the town right now. And how does that feel? I mean, this movie exploded at Sundance, not at a genre festival, but at Sundance. So tell me about what led up to that and, and what it felt like that night. Um, I mean, we, uh, we, we hadn't finished the film when it, when it premiered at Sundance. We oh, still, really? Yeah, we, uh, we had not finished the, uh, the visual effects. In fact, we... Uh, we had to make sort of a last-minute decision about whether we were going to um, accept Sundance's invitation uh, because we 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 needed two months at least for the wow. the, vi- the visual effects, and we and we had about two and a half weeks to uh, to finish them if we were going to well not to finish them but to get what we could done um, for the premiere if we were going to accept the invitation. And, of course, we did, um, and I'm so happy we did. Well, and the movie doesn't rely on the visual effects much. I no. Mean, it's a very character-oriented and story-oriented film. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's true. But hopefully, you know, a lot of those visual effects are, are kind of invisible at this point. Um, right. But they, but they were less invisible at that premiere. <laughs> and so I you was, saw the wires and green walls and things. It, yeah. you, you saw... Um, more than I wanted you to see. Uh, the, <laughs> okay. the seams were, you know, uh, yeah, were. It was lousy with seams, but I, but right. I, I, I um, uh, so you know, I and because of that, I think I had maybe um, exaggerated all, all those things in my head, and I, mm-hmm. I, I was very worried about screening the film, and and uh, and I was just convinced that everybody was going to think it was a piece of shit, and, uh, and the first <laughs> the first screening was. Like torture, um, 
because people were very, very quiet. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a film that is, it's, it's a heavy film. Yeah. And so that could mean either that people are like really in the grip of it and they're being affected, or it could mean that they're just like bored out of, out of their mind. And Yeah. Yeah, sure. anyway, they, but that's, that's what happens when you first like screen a film. So uh, you show up at Park City. Yeah. And there's the theater, and there's the line all the way around the theater. And so what were your thoughts as you're going in? You know that even that night people had been talking up how how powerful the movie is. Well, the first the first night nobody had been talking it up. Like nobody had seen it. Uh, and okay. so it was just what is this? It's a first time filmmaker, Tony Collette's in it, A twenty four is involved. Um so you know, there there's like some level of expectation, but really not but not 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 really. Uh I think I I think that uh a couple of the programmers at Sundance were pretty vocal about, you know, re- really lo- loving it, which was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Uh, I know that Landon Zakheim was very was has been like a really great. Um, Landon's great. Yeah, and he runs the Overlook Film Festival as well, which I'm part of. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and we played there, and that was amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. such such an amazing festival. Um, I I really want to do it again. And that was their yeah. first time in New Orleans. That was my first time in New Orleans. And, but it was the festival's first time in New Orleans as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it was, yeah, for, for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first time. But, so, um, okay, the first screening. So, first screening. Nobody had any idea what to expect. Nobody had any idea what to expect. So, I, you know, I was kind of just pa- pan- panic-stricken. And then, <laughs> and then it, it, uh, I, afterwards, it was, it was kind of clear that at least like a large portion of the audience really liked it. And then there were some tweets that happened and it was very, very, very exciting. But it was, you know, first it was just a relief that people... <laughs> they didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. Um, yeah, I mean, really. And um, and then uh, and then we had a second screening um, the next night at the Mark Theater, which was bigger than the first screening, mm-hmm. which was at the, the Egyptian, which is a really beautiful theater, but very small. Um, and old <laughs> and and old and uh and not not the best sound system at Sundance like one, one of the speakers wasn't really w- working that night oh, and, it, and it was ouch. and it was uh very, that was contributing to my panic you know but i i uh but then the next night we had this screening at the mark which was just i i don't know if it was because people had like you know that there was some word of mouth or people had talked about it a bit but then that that was just from the very beginning um, scenes that were never really meant to be that like they're not like particularly sensational and they weren't meant to be that scary. Right. Um, right. Or at least I, n- not compared to what, what happens later, but people were, were screaming and, uh, and they're, they're it's very audible. And then, and then um, there's something that happens like 30 minutes into the film that kind of changes everything. And, right. uh, and from there, um, it was just, uh, you could really feel that the audience was with it and it was very palpable. And I, I, I had never had that experience as a filmmaker and it was really, I mean, it was really just wonderful and I, uh, kind of a life-changing night. And a career-changing night, no doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, I mean, this movie is what everybody's talking about. It's coming out shortly and all these things happen before the movie even coming out. Now, you weren't... You had done several short films, a couple in particular that got a lot of attention. They were dark, but they're not really what people would call horror films. They weren't supernatural in nature. No. 
but they're very dramatic. And to me, that's the best kind of horror film when it comes from your gut and your heart and from the humanity of the characters. And this cast you were you managed to assemble for this. Tell me how... Well, first, were you a fan of the horror genre before you pursued this movie? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, look, like when I was... 12 and 13, I was obsessed with horror films and, you know, and I, I, I would just, you know, I just exhausted the horror section of like every video store that I could find. And, um, uh, and I, which I, I guess I'm dating myself, which, <laughs> well, don't I'm, worry. Around I'm still me. young. No, no. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm young, but it's just funny how video stores are like this antiquated. Yeah. It's Completely. Like they're yeah. done. Um, they're gone. But I, I, I still, which is still hard to, to believe. Um, but, um, yeah, and so I I was just obsessed with horror films, and I I I I remember that I had this like binder full of um, just like pages that I printed up that were like badly bad badly uh, printed like just images from Google from you know like Pinhead or this wow. anyway. But yeah. but I I um, I then felt kind of off, and I I have not been like. I I have not been somebody who watches every horror film that comes out for a long time. I um I'll watch the ones that I'm like directed towards and you know and I I and I and I and I think that's a lot of, I and that's because a lot of horror films um these days but I, I don't think this is anything new are are produced you know pretty cynically um, right right they're they're yeah. the the cheap seats they're exactly the lowest common denominator it's easy to throw blood and viscera at a scream and at a screen and call it a horror movie yeah you yeah. The, there are like you know kind of these uh like you know the these they're like these 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 demands that 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 you just have to meet, and right. if you meet them, then the film will be somewhat profitable, maybe probably. Right. Um, if you spend this much and you you do these things, the formula then, make it for teenagers and exactly, and, yeah. um, and so with teenagers and for teenagers, yeah. right? And so you know, I I feel like that that um, that trend has like maybe given the genre kind of a bad name, um, but again, it's nothing new that. Yeah. Those films were being made in the 80s. They're being made, you know, like B-movies in the 50s, right? In the right? 60s of and course. 50s, yeah. I mean, in the 60s when they found out uh, people like Herschel Gordon Lewis could do something and just have piles of blood and viscera uh, and it became so controversial these days, it's kind of the norm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for me, that's that's one thing. But then I think back on the horror films that like really – made an impact on me like when I was very young um, and they're as good as anything. I mean, what I, were I, they? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, well, f- first there are the films that I just love that I just think are great and they never really scared me, but I just, I love them. Um, like Jack Clayton's The Innocence. Oh, beautiful film. Yeah, yeah. I love that film. Um, and The Uninvited. Yeah. And then, and then that's uh, 1945. We're going e- back. Exactly. Yeah. No. I, I mean, you can go all the way back to, you know, to Val Luton. And yeah, yeah I, I'm, I, I love those films. But then I, you know, I. So they're atmospheric, psychologically driven. Well, in some cases, scary you know, I, stories. Yeah. Well, those two in for, particular. Yeah. For the most case. I, or, 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 or the haunting. Or for the most part. I mean, yeah. Well, the haunting I like a lot. I, I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Rosemary's Baby is, 
as well directed as, as any film I've ever seen. Uh, I agree. I mean, people talk about they're comparing your film to The Exorcist. I feel much more akin to Rosemary's Baby when I see Hereditary. I, I'd probably prefer that. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I I really love The Exorcist, but I I I, I really love Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Um, and just I mean, just even the way that Polanski like. Uh, um, just his blocking in relation to to the camera is yeah. something that I I like have studied more more than probably anything else. Well, I, that famous shot on the telephone where she's off camera oh. and and the audience actually crane their neck to look around to see her. Oh yeah, to see no, me the famous shot, the film. right? Yeah. But, but beyond yeah. that, just just scene for scene, the yeah. way that he moves his actors um, and the way that 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 then motivates the camera to move. It's it's so invisible, but it's it's like athletic. Um, and uh, I mean for. For for me, you know, there are the three films by him that are just like perfect, which is that Macbeth and Rosemary and and, and Chinatown, oh, and, and yes. then and then before that you have like Cul de Sac. Oh, and, and, and the Tenant is pretty amazing too. The Tenant is yeah, great. Repulsion. Yeah. The Tenant is probably it, the first one I saw. Yeah. Right, and then the Tenant gets better or worse based on the dubbing you're watching it with, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, so so. Uh, Rosemary's Baby is a really big one. Um, Don't Look Now is is probably the film that I was referencing the most when I was talking about this film. Interesting. Um, I see this as sort of a spiritual sibling or a mm-hmm. spiritual cousin mm-hmm. to that film. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, God, what else? I, 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 you know, I love The Shining, but I've I've always considered that to be more of like a a, a black comedy than a mm-hmm. than a horror film. Yeah. Um, and uh I don't talk about the shining. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh well well as far as like atmosphere is concerned. No, no, I right? think it's a great Kubrick film. It's yeah. a great Kubrick film. Right. It's just not a Stephen King film. Yeah, it's not um, a Stephen King adaptation, really. No, it's yeah. I I mean he's pared everything down. It it becomes almost yeah. an essay on 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 the genre. On than, cinema. More yeah. than a contribution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, it's kind of poking the genre in the eye in certain ways. Oh, it is. I mean, it's yeah. it's 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 stripping everything yeah. Um, yeah. to its bare essentials. Um I, I, and that's why I, I don't I don't find it scary. I just find it like endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Um yeah. but but then I would say to get back to your question, well, the two films as a kid that like wrecked me were De Palma's Carrie, uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, Peter Greenaway's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Yeah, yeah, which is not technically a horror film. No, but it's pretty horrific. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's deeply horrific, and it's yeah. it's like it's just. Uh, I mean, I I consider him to be like our most authentic misanthrope. Yes, Peter Greenaway. Yeah, well, people talk about Lars von Trier being a misanthrope, and 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 you could say a million things about Lars von Trier. Right. And I I haven't seen the house that Jack built. Let's no, but we're hearing a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, but um, but but he but there's his films are always so deeply felt, and even as he's like torturing his characters, you (laughs) it's it's it there's like a a real empathy there. and with Peter Greenaway, there is not like you just you really. I mean, his films are so highly aestheticized, and he's right. so obsessed with artifice, and they're gorgeous. I mean, you have like Sasha Vierney shooting these films, and you have Michael Nyman's music, and and in the case of The Cook, The Thief, you have I think Jean Paul Gaultier like doing the 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 costumes. The costumes, yeah. But um, but you really feel that these people are are like just these like pawns. I mean, only in 
the cook, the cook, the thief, do we even really get performances from him? Like other from El, um, Helen Mirren and Michael Gambon, and and they're very like you know, they're they're great performances, even if they are still very distant, you know, and mm-hmm. clinical. But, but the most interesting movies are not. about people. Exactly. And I think, you know, are you particularly drawn to British filmmakers? I know Mike Lee is one of your favorite. Uh, kind yeah. of wor- he's a working class filmmaker about the working class all, he, almost always. He, well, yeah, he is. I mean, almost always. Um, well, Naked is an amazing movie. Well, Naked's maybe my favorite, although I... But then I get going, and it's like, well, maybe top, Topsy Turvy's my yeah. favorite, or maybe <laughs> yes. Secrets and Lies, or maybe oh, Happy Go Lucky. You're right. Boy, yeah. That's a tough choice here. <laughs> yeah, or, or just a couple of years ago, Mr. Turner. He's, he's amazing. Um, but uh, no, I mean, my, Mike Lee is maybe my favorite filmmaker. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't know who else can work the way he does, where he has like six months with actors just to find the characters and to find their history and to, to build, to build, um, these relationships like brick by brick and then to go off and write the script and then, you know. Yeah, after working with the actors and having them inform what the script is going to be. Right, and working yeah. with the best actors in the world. Yes. Um, right, and so I I don't know, who, like it's, 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 it's hard to really, um, it's, it's hard to like learn from him in that way, except, right. except I, I just see his films and, you know, those characters are so vivid, and they're and you feel their histories, and you feel their relationships. These films are quite experiential. They you know, are, you know? they are, and and people don't talk enough about um, him as an aesthete because he's his films are gorgeous, um, yeah, and they're amazing, beautifully made. I mean, you know, he's he's got Dick Pope shooting his films, and mm-hmm. Dick Pope's over, you know, over here doing the Matrix, you know. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah the genre fans may not know Mike Lee very well, but I mean, film fans uh, and and. And genre fans who don't should just because the films are so informed by deep psychological character studies. Yeah, it's true. And and I can say that on on this film, um, I when I was showing films to the crew, I was I I I I, I kind of made made sure not to show horror films. I was showing them family dramas that I that that for me were kind of. Uh, working in in the same register that I wanted to at least like. Uh, have hereditary start in, you know. So, right. so, so we would watch uh, like All or Nothing by Mike Lee and Secrets and Lies, and we watched In the Bedroom, which has sort of a turn and at, at the thirty minute mark, which is not far away from right. what happens right. here. Well, atmospherically, it reminds me a lot of Ang Lee's The Ice Storm. Yeah, which that was a big one. Is a beautifully made, incredibly heartbreaking. Oh yeah, it's perfect. Deeply tragic movie. Yeah, no, and then and that was actually the first film we screened. Ah, okay. Uh, and good. when yeah, and when I was pitching it, uh, I would often pitch pitch it as the Ice Storm, you know, uh, meets yeah, I don't know Rosemary's Baby or something, right. you know, whatever you right. yeah. The, the, um, but but uh, no, the 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 Ice Storm is um, is one of my fa- favorite films, and we watched mm. Bergman too. We watched a lot of Bergman films. Wow. Uh, and then we watched uh, Cries and Whispers and. Autumn Sonata, um, ah, okay. which is you know about a mother daughter relationship, um, right? In a different way than than this one is. But well, it sounds like you spent a long time working your way up to making this movie. That there was years of pre production rather than just the usual weeks of pre production for this. Well, uh, you know, I I by 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 the time this one had gotten going, I had written like ten ten, ten feature scripts. So there, um, and and I'd been trying to get. 
uh, a few of them made for a long time. Um, and actually the reason I wrote this, because I wrote this pretty late, um, mm. was because it, it began kind of cynically, where I just realized like I, 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 I would have an easier time getting a horror film made. Ah, and, okay. then, and then the question becomes, well, how do you, like, okay, so what do I want from the horror genre? Like, you know, and, and then it becomes less and less cynical until it becomes deeply personal, and then it's just like anything else that I, you know, that, that I've written. But I, I, I um, uh, are you yeah. drawn to tragedy? Are you drawn to darker stories overall? I mean, your yeah. output indicates that you would be. Yeah, I would never like announce it as like a mission. You know what right. I mean? Um, <laughs> your but, mission statement is to bring people down right. and bum them out. Yeah, no, exactly. But, but <laughs> yeah. I recognize like yeah. that, that that seems to be what 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 I'm doing, especially with the shorts that I'd made. Um, but uh, well, tell me about the yeah. road to getting this movie made because I'd I'd read things about how your process you had already uh, shot listed the whole movie before you started and things like that, which obviously changes day to day when you're actually in production on a movie. It does. It does. And in this one, in this case, it didn't change t- too much because yes. So I I always uh, c- compose a shot list first. Uh, before I talk to anybody in the crew. So I typically spend a, f- a few months uh, devising a shot list, and then when I'm done, I'll go to my cinematographer um, and my production designer. In this case, that was Pavel Pogorjelski, who I've been working with for a long time, and Grace Yoon, who is the production designer, and she's great. Oh, yeah. She did a wonderful job. And I'll I'll then go... Uh, Scene by scene, and, t- and take them through what the blocking is, and what the what the shot what the shots will be, and all the shots are sequenced. So it very very seldom will we get um, coverage. Um, I mean, if you do like a dinner table scene, which which there is one here, right. you, you, you will get coverage. Um, but there will be scenes that play through in a single shot that's moving and and uh, that is constantly shifting its sense of focus during it, the course of the scene. Exactly, um, and. Um, and what happens when you do that um, is that you then find that it's very hard to find a location. So we we spent a long time scouting, and then it became very clear that uh, that we were not going to find um, a house that catered to this shot list. Um, and I had been used to sort of building things on my shorts, which I'd been making since AFI. I, gra- I, I graduated from AFI as a director about eight years ago. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. your film school experience the, the, at AFI, which is such a great launching pad and such a great source of experience. But this whole thing about finding locations and the like, obviously yeah. you had an exterior location. Well, well, we, we, we did have an exterior location, um, and we shot there for about three days. But then for everything interior, um, that's the the first floor, the second floor, the attic um, and then everything to do with the treehouse, the interior and the exterior. We actually built two interiors for, uh, for that one that's smaller and one that's larger. Um, everything was built. Uh, it was from all scratch. on sound stages. Yeah. All in a sound stage in Utah, um, in Park City. Ah. Um, and, and we built everything from scratch. Uh, and, uh, and then what, what, uh, kind of what, 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 what made it even more difficult from there was that we were also going to have to replicate all of these spaces um, in, w- with the dollhouses. Right, the miniatures, which, which I want to talk about as well. But the flexibility, I mean, you needed to be on stages to do what you did in this movie. Yeah. It would have been impossible for you to 
go onto a location and do the things that you did. You'd have to walk, knock holes in walls, and all, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. No, we would. We um, it 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 would have been impossible. And and I think we we knew that. But I think we uh, I think we, it, if anything, we just wanted to to prove it to ourselves by like looking for this perfect location that didn't exist. Um, with you know with halls that would accommodate like you know a dolly and then and then doorways that would allow the dolly to go you know in and out it, but um but to shoot the film as fluidly as we wanted to we were always going to have to build um and and even right now um you know i'm 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 in pre-production on a film in hungary and we're and we're building a village um, a whole village yeah nice. well it's cheaper to do in hungary than in park city it's true <laughs> yeah but uh, what a great circle that um you shot it in park city and then it had its premiere at Sundance in Park City. And, uh, I mean, what an ironic and wonderful, beautiful circle for you. It, it, it really was wonderful. And, and, and you know, um, Utah was a place that we chose because it was going to be cheaper. Um, and and, and, and it's, very, it's very beautiful there. But what we found was that it was such an, an ideal place to shoot this film. We had the most amazing crew um, you know, we were based when we shot the stand. We were based in Utah. Oh yeah, and I actually shot scenes from the stand at Sundance. And, so yeah, and I how mean, was that is, for you? It was fantastic. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it was uh, very Mormon. Yeah. you know, be, being based in Salt Lake City rather than in Park City. Well, we were actually based in Salt Lake City for yeah. all of pre-production, and we shot the first two weeks in Salt Lake. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I know Salt Lake better than I do Park City as a place uh, to make okay. a movie. Yeah, I, I spent six or seven months there in pre-production and production on the stand. So wow. It was a, a I, I loved shoot. it. I was surprised. Yeah, I had a yeah. great experience. The crew was fantastic, and and actually shooting at Park City before, uh, at Sundance, before Sundance really was what it has become. And it's obviously so beautiful. Um, I mean, everybody, you know, I, I feel like Park City has that reputation, but Salt Lake doesn't necessarily have that reputation. No, no. But it, Salt Lake is amazing because it is wherever you're standing, you are you are surrounded uh, completely by mountains. By it's, mountains. A, it's this 360... And, and that's why the air is not very good there. Is because <laughs> yes, it's, it's just trapped. It's all trapped in. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's, I, I, I actually, I, uh, when we left Utah, I was, I was kind of sad. I, I got really um, How long were you there? there. Yeah. Uh, I think we had about 10 weeks of pre-production. Um, and then it was uh, um, about a 30-day shoot. Really, that's yeah. quick for something that says. I mean, it's contained. Yeah, well, that's why you, that that's why designing it is so important, right? Um, because we we really didn't have time to find anything on set. We were just doing the we were just shooting the plans. Well, were there things that came up that did? Shot, I mean, I find when I I shot, I'll usually shot list the week uh, that's coming up the weekend before, uh, and uh, because everything changes so often, the chaos hits that. I don't want to be a slave to a shot list rather than the other way around. Did you find things that kind of threw you off kilter because you couldn't do your plan? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You know, it, it's, uh, there were scenes that I had shot, shot listed to a T and I just, I, I knew them like in my bones and we sort of built a lot of the spaces to accommodate those scenes. Mm-hmm. And those scenes tended to never really change because I lived with them for so long 
Um, it was created around the shot list. Yeah, exactly. But then there, are, but then there were scenes that you know when you're shot listing, you you can feel like uh, this works, but like I don't know. And then if if you shoot them that way, typically those are the sh- those are the scenes that you're the least happy with. If, yeah. if, if there's anything that you're not certain of, if there's anything that you can't see a hundred percent in your head, it I I find um, if you're working this way. Those are always the scenes that just you that either end up on the cutting room floor or mm. or that you need to reshoot or or that just end up in the movie because you need them in the movie because right. they, because they have information that you can't and you go oh lose. shit it's like it's like that shouldn't be in the movie because well, then you yeah. you end up losing you end up cutting scenes that you love the way that that they're shot but they're not necessary and then this necessary scene just isn't of the isn't of the it's not meeting the standards that, right. that you've been trying to set for. And then the, the actors rest. will bring something to the stage that can be entirely unexpected, no matter how much you've rehearsed. Of course, and that's yeah. what you welcome, right? Well, well, absolutely. Um, I mean, I I know that that the way that I I've been working so far can be annoying for actors <laughs> because I come in with the blocking, right? Um, Very Hitchcockian style. That's how he used to plan everything. Yeah, so although, he didn't even enjoy the process of shooting. He was done by the time. No, and I'm not sure if I do. I, it's so stressful for uh, for me. But I I I do try. I, I try to shot list in a way that kind of gives the actor freedom. Uh, within the frame so that it's like these are the things that need to happen but please I tell them please like please mix it up however you want yeah, but yeah. but I think that that might even sound disingenuous or be disingenuous <laughs> because ultimately they are locked into this trajectory and mm-hmm. um, and I would love to find a way to work that's uh, uh, I'm a little bit that, that 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 that's looser in that way because you want ultimately what what needs to happen is for the performances to be of a level that that you know that that they deserve, that that you know you you want to be filming them and, right as opposed to them kind of you know being subservient to a shot. Well, and this I, is your first you land time. In the middle. Yeah. Your first time as a feature director, and it's worked for you very well so far, and giving you the opportunity to try all kinds of new things. I mean, yeah. is is there? I'm is, excited to loosen up. I'm excited to like find. Yeah, the confidence to loosen up a bit. You're getting unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the AFI experience. How how that happened? How you got into the program, and and how you feel that helped your cinematic education as a guy? Because you know you can be a really bright person who understands how, the language of cinema and not be able to feed that to other people and share it with other people, a cast and crew. So tell me how. What you learned in the process of the AFI system? Well, I can say first the the beauty of a, of AFI is that it is it is all it's 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 a it's it's very practical. It's it's all practice based. AFI meaning the American Film Institute. Yeah. Exactly, the American Film Institute Conservatory. Which uh, I so I went there right after college. I was very I was very young. Um, most people they 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 at least they ask that. Um, that applicants spend some years in the industry, and I, I, I hadn't. Um, and uh, again, the beauty of the program is that you you go in um, to a particular discipline. I was there as a director. There, they have twenty eight directors every year. They have twenty eight uh, writers, twenty eight producers, um, twenty eight cinematographers, and then. 
14 production designers and 14 editors. Wow. Um, and, uh, and this is all housed in a former nunnery in the Hollywood Hills. Exactly. Yeah. 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 In, uh, near Los Feliz or Los yeah. Feliz. Um, yeah. And uh, people will correct you if you say Los Feliz. Yeah. Uh, even although, though that's although the I, correct although that's pronunciation correct. for uh, Spanish. Los Feliz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, so you, you're there um, within your discipline and, you're, and the first year you make three films. You make three cycle films. Um, unless you're a an editor or a production designer, in which case you make um, two for each cycle, so you make six cycle films, um, mm-hmm. and you you uh, screen your your short for this the the entire class, and then you have to sit up on stage as they you know critique what they just saw, and you sit up there with um, a professor. We had Frank Pearson. Um, oh wow! At that point, now that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Frank Pearson, who wrote Dog uh, Day Afternoon, Dog Day Afternoon, and, and Cool Hand Luke, cool, yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing uh, history. And yeah. and so he, you know, and um, and he was uh, he was great. Um, and uh, and then so, but but then you'd be torn apart by your class, and then <laughs> you have to hustle to to get the team you want for the next cycle. And so it's and very a class of would-be directors would be very critical of your oh, work, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, Did yeah, you yeah. find yourself shredded? Yeah, I found myself shredded. I, sa- I found myself doing shredding, you know. <laughs> okay. I, 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 um, uh, yeah, and then, um, and then so it, it becomes very competitive where it's, where, okay, that, that cycle had really great cinematography, so everybody wants that cinematographer for their next cycle. Or if you made, you know, like a, a really shitty cycle, then like, you know, you're you're toxic waste until until you're not right until the next thing you make, which is hopefully better. Um, and and you know, it, it it can be a very brutal program. Um, I really liked it. Um, and then for your second year, you make your thesis film, hopefully with uh, the team you you want. Um, and they, uh, and what, what happens for the theses is that you, uh, is that everybody can submit a script anonymously. Um, and so usually, and so that could be a production designer, an editor, it doesn't matter what your discipline is. And you submit scripts for, to be, the, to be thesis films and they end up green lighting 28 of them. Um, and I was lucky in that. My script was greenlit pretty early on, and it was a very weird short called you, the, "Yeah, called the Strangling with the Johnsons." Right, and you were able to direct your own script then. I was able yeah. to direct my own script, um, and um, and yeah, the thing I made was was pretty uh, out there, and then kind of found this but, weird uh, the, this. Uh, Audience online, yeah, where. yeah, very successful online. But you also were able because of the AFI, you were able to work with high caliber actors in these yeah. films as well, and familiar actors too. In in some cases, yeah, I I uh, I mean, you're you're going through um, like SAG books, right? And so right. Screen Actors Guild, yeah. exactly, um, and. Um, and Rather than your best friend down the street, who, who you know, who uh, uh, works as a barista, but he's really funny, and we'll put him in this movie. You know? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and and that's the di- and that's what was really beautiful about AFI for me was that you know I I just gotten out of undergrad, I went to film school in Santa Fe, um, um, at the College of Santa Fe, which is now I forget what it's called. I think it's the 
the Santa Fe Institute of Art and Design now or something ah, like that. Okay. I, I think I'm, I might've gotten that wrong, but I, I, um, but you know, when, but in underground, in, a, in undergrad, my, my experience was if you want to make, if you want to make a film, like you're making, you're, you're doing everything and everybody who's on set is doing you a big favor and you owe them and they have no investment whatsoever in what, in what you're making. And, uh, the beauty of AFI is that everybody who's, who's involved, it, it's their prod, it's their project. So the, the DP, the production designer, this is the, 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 this is their showcase as well. Um, and so everybody was so, invested, and and it was the first time that I was able to actually direct, meaning I, I where I was having to articulate a vision to everybody to professionals. Yeah, yeah. exactly. To people who knew what they were doing in each of their departments. Yeah. Exactly, and that and that was really really um, invaluable. I, I I think I probably got. Um, the equivalent of like five years of experience in those two. So AFI allowed you to communicate the language of cinema to the other people you were, who were working with you on your film. Yeah, and and they were and it allowed me to sort of to try things that I had wanted to try and learn what worked and what didn't. And you know, and I I I I loved so many different films, and I wanted to try so many different kinds of like I you know I loved Michael Haneke, and I wanted to be Michael Haneke, and then yeah. I and then I found that you know I shot a short that was like very static and like lots of wides and very clinical and I was I was getting bored with my own film and mm. I, I realized that I just wanted to move the camera more and I wanted to be uh, I wanted I, I wanted the camera to be more more like athletic and um, you didn't want to just emulate other filmmakers no but 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 that's how you find it is that you're inspired by them is yeah but yeah. but you are I mean I don't know how other people work but I certainly started by emulating filmmakers I was mm-hmm. emulating uh uh, Michael Haneke, and I was emulating Roy Anderson, and mm-hmm. then I was, and then I was trying to do my my version of, you know, like early Scorsese, you know, and right. uh, and then you you end up finding your, your voice, your, yeah. your your yeah, your voice, or or just your your aesthetic, your, right? Yeah. Like whatever, what what, and and that and that gets more and more concrete as you keep. How would working. you describe your aesthetic? The Ari Aster aesthetic. I don't know. Um, I I I I love. I love moving the camera. Um, I love color. Uh, I. I really like artifice. Um, mm. I I I I, I uh, the film certainly when I'm working in in um, in horror, you know, the films that like always bothered me the most are the ones that kind of felt the most artificial. Um, mm. Like they're like again. You know Peter Greenaway. There's nobody who who has a more like uh, artificial sense, right? Mm-hmm. But then uh, you know, and then I love musicals, you know. So, yeah. but 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 especially the ones that disturbed me, like Pennies from Heaven. Oh, you know? that's great. Yeah. yeah, and there's like a real Brechtian um, sense of yeah. like you know of distance there, and 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 um, well, there's also a darkness. That uh, of theme that seems to be consistent in well, you've done one movie, but you've done the other shorts as well. Yeah, and which is why I asked you about if you are drawn to darkness and has has personal tragedy played a part in your life because it seems to play such a part in your films. Uh, I I I would say um, maybe less in mine than than people I love. 
Um, Which includes yeah. you. Well, of <laughs> yeah, course, yeah, includes yeah, me. Course. But then, I mean, I, yeah, I yes, I. But at the same time, like I, I yeah, I, no, certainly. Um, and tragedy certainly deepens you as an artist, whether you're a writer or a filmmaker, or whatever. I know I've I've lost a couple of brothers and people close to me and parents and all. And as painful as it is, I appreciate the deepening process that happens during that, which is what I found in your film, too, is that you. felt so personal about it. Because that tragedy of loss, Tony Collette has such an amazing, horrific response to a per- certain point in the film that yeah. just uh, it feels so deeply rooted. How much of that was her and how much of that was you? I mean, it's 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 all in the script, and then she just was absolutely able to to embody that. Um, but um, no, I, I I was definitely working through very personal feelings, um, and um, and you know that's sort of the beauty of genre filmmaking is that you can put them through this filter and it becomes something else because there are these demands that you have to meet, and so ultimately. Nobody in the film is a surrogate for anybody in my family or, or you know, for me. Right. Um, but no, the film is definitely coming from like a very raw place. It was a very therapeutic um, process to write it and then to make it. Um, and you know, I but and I certainly I I I I want the film to be sorrowful. Like I I always mm. wanted to make a very sorrowful um, experience. Yeah. Sad. Film. To make it hurt, yeah. to it make, does hurt. To yeah. make it hurt, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and, and and so I I I'm 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 happy to hear that people are having that experience watching the film that they are struck on a on a on a deep level. Um, in in that way too, I, I I think the film also has like great debt to to the domestic melodrama, maybe mm. even more to to. Maybe even more than 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 the horror genre. Well, that's an interesting point. I think we should talk about is the requirements of the horror genre or the freedoms of the horror genre, because you're encouraged to use the tools of cinema in an exaggerated, artificial way, perhaps that you could not get away with in drama. And here you embrace the human drama so beautifully and emotionally, and use these tools of otherworldly and internally felt emotional processes that would be difficult to convey cinematically in a drama that you can get away with in a film dealing with the supernatural. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, um, even as I was pitching the film, and I've said this before, but I, I was not describing it as a horror film. I was describing it as a family tragedy mm. that curdles into a nightmare in the same way that, that, um, that, Life can feel like a nightmare when disaster strikes, especially when it strikes in succession, right? right. Like that, like that saying, <clears throat> "When it rains, it pours." Mm-hmm. When it rains, it pours. Um, and uh, and so I wanted the the film to honor those feelings right. by kind of attaching it yeah. by 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 yeah by kind of attaching itself sympathetically to them and kind of becoming as 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 extreme as the feelings themselves. Mm. So so to t- to not be, you know, the the uh, the observational camera that's like outside the door watching the person right. go through hell, but to attach, but for the, for the film to attach itself 
to that experience. And then, to be participatory. And, yeah. Exactly. And then for the film to almost collapse under the weight of those feelings. Mm. Um, I, 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 I remember talking about how I wanted the film to sort of feel like the, the, like the film was coming apart at the seams because mm-hmm. it, it couldn't contain the feelings inside. And then at the end, that were so raw. it just goes crazy. Okay, well, we only have a couple of minutes to go, I, I see. So uh, I just really, it's important to touch on the casting process. I mean, yeah. Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne, Millie Shapiro. Wow, yeah. Where did she come from? Charlie. I mean, she's amazing, unique, fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Millie Shapiro is is absolutely incredible. Um, and we found her in uh, in an audition. I I. Uh, I I was always really worried about Charlie. I didn't know if we would be able to find her. Um, I had something in my head. Uh, I knew that I had to sort of let go of that and just and just see what came. And I never could have anticipated finding anybody as good as Millie and as perfect as Millie. And as unique. And as unique as Millie, but, but also as unique as Millie in her talent because she is, uh, I mean... I mean, she she has a Tony, which she won when she was ten years old for Amazing. playing Matilda on Broadway. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And she's an incredible singer. And she's just uh I mean, she she's a Broadway actress, but but she's she's her instincts are just incredible and she's such a smart actress. And she I remember she came in with an idea about the character and she tried something and it wasn't quite right. And then I gave her one note, and it wasn't a very special note, and then, and then she did it again, and it was just whoa! Like it was so her perceptions perfect. were amazing. She was so smart, and she brought so much more to the part than I I had written. Um, yeah, and then and then Alex Wolf, who plays Peter, mm-hmm. he also came in and auditioned, and um, he was incredible. Um, and also the, a musician, <laughs> yeah. Also a musician, and he's been and he's been um, and he's been like uh, uh, kind of in front of the camera since he was very very young with his mm-hmm. brother Nat. I mean, uh, I didn't know that he was part of this uh, Naked Brothers band when I first cast him. Right. Um, but uh, but he's an an amazingly dedicated actor who, uh, um, you know, he's he's he's. I, I know he doesn't like me saying that he's method, but but that's that's how he. But works. he kind of is. <laughs> yeah, I mean he yeah. he dives headfirst in, and, and he was essentially Peter for two months, and you know, and and we, which is really fun for a director because then you get to just talk to the character, right, as right. opposed to the actor, right. Um, and uh, and well, then Tony and Gabriel. Uh, I mean, well, Tony came on really early. Oh really? Uh, I mean, they're both actors of incredible heft and incredible uh, breadth in in their work. And, yeah, and she in particular has been through the genre as well once or twice. Yeah, she has. I and I I um I'd been watching them since I was a kid, and so it was just uh you know kind of a dream come true to have to to have them come onto the film, and 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 it was very intimidating. And uh, and Tony came on about about a uh, aren't they both Australian? Uh, well, um, he's Irish. Oh, he's Irish and she's yeah, Australian. And she's Australian. Because yeah. I remember seeing her in Muriel's wedding and it's like, what a yeah, transformation she was, from that. She was like 19 or so. Yeah, she, she was yeah, very young. She might yeah. have been like 20. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when Tony came, came on, you know, we sent her the script and we met and she attached herself. I mean, that, that's when the movie becomes real. Um, yeah. so that was my first experience as a filmmaker, like, uh, feeling, real significant momentum because there were so many projects that 
had started to go and just didn't go. And, and so it was, it was life-changing to have her right. come onto the film. Um, and then getting Gabriel and Anne was just, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, Anne I Dowd have, from Handmaid's, Handmaid's I, Tale and everything. She, I, she's incredible. And she's also just the, the sweetest person in the world. She's, Which you wouldn't guess from Handmaid's, but she plays a totally opposite kind of character there, sort of. Yeah. Um, but what I also like is the way you flip the characters. Uh, Gabriel is kind of an ineffectual male character, whereas Tony, her character, is pretty all-encompassing for the course of the film. Yeah, thank you. I, I uh, yeah, he's just trying to hold, to hold things together. Just trying ineffectively. Yeah, he <laughs> has no it. he has no concept of the uh, of of <laughs> the the forces that are <laughs> yeah. encroaching on on this family and and that. And just what 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 he's kind of married into. Yeah. Well, it's a great accomplishment, and I know we've got to wrap it up now, but I really appreciate talking to you about this and watching to see what comes next. So thanks so much for joining us on Postmortem. Thank you so much for, ha- for having me. This was great. Thanks, Ari. If you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can access... All of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at mickgarrisinterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram on PostmortemGram. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. Calling all coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.